Welcome to Inside Parliament, a weekly catch-up on the political stories we've been covering on One News. We're coming to you from the legendary TVNZ studio in the Beehive. I'm Benedict Collins. I'm Jessica Much, and this week we've heard all about the eligibility for a Kiwi-built home. So that was one of the big stories this week, so let's have a look at that first. The scaffolding's up at McLennan Park in South Auckland today. And by October, 30 of these will be the first Kiwi-built homes. We've now learned most first-home buyers like Orlando and Kylie Pritchard are eligible to go into the ballot. It would be lovely to just have something for just to be proud of and it's absolutely dream to have our own home. So-called second chances also get a look in. That's people like Sarah Archer who've owned a home before. Oh, it'd be awesome. For me, I'm looking to buy a property on my own, so I've owned a property before, um, and at that time I bought the property with um, my now ex-husband, um, and so for me now to be able to buy a property by myself would be great. The rules are you have to own the home for three years before you can sell it. You have to live there, but you can rent out a room. It's Goldilocks. It's not too hot, it's not too cold. We just think uh, three years is just about right. Look, now we've got policy by nursery rhyme. Originally, Labor's policy was if someone sold a Kiwi-built home in the first five years, they'd have to pay back any capital gain. But now that's been ditched. We don't expect there's going to be a lot of capital gain. And the other thing is that to weigh up is that when people buy these homes, they're putting up the money, they're taking the risk. It's their property. There's no asset testing, and National says that's a joke. Struggling New Zealand families are going to be competing with quite wealthy income earners. Uh, New Zealanders have paid tax overseas for years and years and have just come home. New Zealanders have got inheritances, have got substantial other assets. The maximum price for a Kiwi-built house in Auckland and Queenstown is 650000 for a three-bedroom home, 600000 for a two-bed and 500 for a one-bed. For the rest of the country, the maximum price will be 500000 It's still a struggle. On, it's, you're still far away from the dream. The government's promising 1,000 houses will be built between now and July next year, all part of the plan to take the heat out of the housing market. The whole part of this was you able to go and pre-register your interest, and so far as of Thursday around lunchtime, 17,000 people um, have registered their interest. And it goes to show massive amount of people really wanting help buying their first home. Yeah, enormous interest. And what I think is really interesting about this is that, you know, 17,000 people, that represents the number of houses that it's going to take Kiwi build homes, you know, three, four, five years to build. So people, you know, I wonder whether that, you know, people are going to be, have their expectations built up here, hey, I'm in the ballot, and then they could be waiting years and years for it to come up with them. You know, I think the, the first homes we've got coming up later this year, 30 homes. So, you know, whether those expectations are going to be built up with this ballot system, I think it's going to be really interesting to watch. And those 30 homes, for example, are in South Auckland, not that obviously won't suit anyone outside of Auckland and not everyone will want to live in that location because of schools and all of that kind of stuff. So I think it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. You are going to be able to, you first register, then you have to qualify and then you go into the ballot for the development where you want to buy a home. But you'd imagine with some of those developments, you're going to have so much competition for it. Um, and I wonder how, I mean, the ballot system, I guess, is the only way you can do it because... It's the fairer system, but having that income cap at 180, mm. that means basically every first-home buyer gets to be in with a chance. Only 8% 
miss out because they earn too much. Yeah, what were your thoughts on that, where they set those levels at the, at the 180 for a couple and the 120... 120 wasn't it for a single yeah. for a single person so what, what were your thoughts much higher than I thought because when yeah. you stop and think about it that's two people earning $90,000 yeah. each and that's a decent income for a lot of people mm. and I just think that um, sitting there on 90000 and thinking I need a subsidised house it's it shows how desperate and how much of a crisis the housing market is in because if those people that's that's two lawyers, mm. that's two teachers. That do you know what I mean? And the, if those guys can't get onto the housing market, we're in trouble. It may be a reflection of how out of control how house prices are, especially in Auckland. I think, but I think the government was kind of, you know, no matter where they set that threshold, you'd have complaints either way. You know, is it too high at one eighty? If they come down lower, you know, at one fifty, you'd, you'd have people saying, well, you know. We're on seventy thousand each a year, or whatever, and you know, yeah, or, or seventy five, and we're getting getting cut out here. So, but the thing is, is those guys on ninety thousand have the chance to save. Do you know what I mean? If you're mm. earning that much, if you're paying rent, um, if you're watching your pennies, That's you right. have the opportunity you've to got save. the ability to build yeah. a deposit, right? At, yeah, on two people have. on fifty thousand, yeah. much tougher, yeah. especially living in Auckland. So, I do think that they are trying to keep it simple, but I do wonder if it's not going to be targeted enough to the people who really need it and will never get onto the housing market without these Kiwi-built homes. So, I, I mean, I think the other thing that's really interesting mm. as well is the three-year um, threshold. Yeah. So you have to... Just right. Yeah, just right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that was. I heard that and I thought, yeah, hmm, yeah. I'm sure the mm. opposition are going to have a little bit of fun with this line as well. Yeah. But the not too hot, not too cold, just right. But I wonder if it is just right, though, because mm. for... These are meant to be setting you up for getting on the property ladder and maybe being able to have a, a family home setting you up. Three years, um, I just wonder if it should should be longer than that to stop people thinking, oh, three years, capital gain, sell, collect the money, move on to the next one. So I'm just not quite, I'll be interested to see the papers and the thinking about how they decided that three years and how they decided that 180 um, to see what those voices were in. And I guess it'll be interesting as things roll out to see whether people are doing that anyway. You know, mm. people waiting so long to get into their first place, you know, to see whether they would even be interested in, you know, in trying to flip them straight, you know, as soon as the three years is up. It'll be interesting yeah. to see in reality how that all plays out. And I guess especially for those first guys going in, if you go in and the housing market is still going up mm. and up and up, in three years you're going to make a nice little pretty penny you can go on and go and buy a house in That's the right, market you've built by up yourself. More yeah. yeah, the guys yeah. in five years or so yeah. may not be quite as ferocious. So, um, but yeah, 17,000, it just shows what a hot topic this is yeah. for people. It's really interesting. Mm. Um, charter schools were another thing that you looked into this week, a yep. really interesting select committee. So let's have a look at that now. Vanguard Military School has some happy customers. I never thought that I could ever achieve level three. I never thought that I could speak in public. And it's the only charter school with a certain future. Set to become a special character school in the public system next year. The children are not just happy that they're being taught. They're reaching for the stars. And when they leave school, they still reach for the stars. I had a girl whose name was literally Hope who said to me at Vanguard Military School, I never knew I was smart until I came here. But with the fate of the other 10 charter schools still up in the air, 
Māori leaders have filed a claim with the Waitangi Tribunal, accusing the government of being a bully and failing to consult them. National says it's time for the government to put on the brakes. It's really important that the government listens to these prominent Māori leaders that have stepped up and said uh, that the government should not proceed in scrapping partnership schools. But that's not going to happen. My answer is no. The Māori people in this country want the best that's available to the best of the citizens in this country. Well, I actually think that would be really unfair on the students who are attending those schools because it would create huge uncertainty for them. No, no, it doesn't change anything in my eyes. In fact, I, don't, I think it's a nonsensical complaint. But Sir Toby has a message for Jacinda Ardern. The Prime Minister has given the second name to their child as Taroha. I'd like to think that with the, the concept of Aroha being shared with everyone, things will succeed. The remaining charter schools will find out their futures in the next few weeks. Yeah, so as we've seen there, just a, a real last-ditch effort there um, by the Māori leaders trying to, you know, get that Waitangi Tribunal claim in there to try to stop the government, you know, from, from getting rid of the charter schools. Now, it's kind of interesting. I'm not... You know, you've got the education minister and the government, I guess, to take it back a step first, was so clear they were going to get rid of these schools. And, you know, they're going to change the names. They're going to set them up as special character schools. I believe the education minister has said in the past, hey, the kids at these schools, they won't even notice a change. But, you know, that was a, um, a point that also came up yesterday in the select committee. And, that you know, and, and the opposition, national, they were, no, 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 things are definitely going to change. So it will be interesting to see what happens here. And those schools, I think, the, the 10 remaining schools, they should find out within the next few weeks whether they are approved to become special character schools. Because this is, this is a big move, them taking mm. this step, because this is such politically... Yep. This is it's a political argument, really, isn't it? Mm. Because you've got Labour who've said right from the outset, we're not interested in charter schools. Yep. Um, we're going to ditch them, perhaps blinded by what's going on with some of these schools here. But now they've, that's their policy. That's what they've got to do, and they've got to forge ahead with it. But I think people are seeing examples um, like you showed in the story, and seeing that these schools are working for some people and trying to find this middle ground so yeah. that they can still keep playing that political line. And we've seen in the past, you know, you've had senior Labour Labour MPs now ministers. You know, they've gone along. So you take these schools are, you know. They're really doing well for kids that mm. do not fit well Calvin inside. Calvin Davis, yep, Willie Jackson. Inside that state school system. These kids, you know, that did not thrive in, in, in those situations. Here they've been given an alternative, you know, in, in which they're really doing well. Yeah. And it just, I think it also makes for some slightly awkward conversations um, for people like Nanaya Mahuta yeah. and these guys who were involved in this because perhaps they agree with these charter schools, but the party line is no charter schools and they just it, one yeah. of those things you have to suck up so the, so those uh, the special character schools they'll, they'll come into effect next year so it'll be interesting to see whether they basically continue on just with a new name and, and slightly different requirements around their funding as to what's happening now or to see whether there will be a real you know a real shake up and to see whether they keep working as successfully as as they appear to be doing you know for a certain a small selection of children because this was discussed at select committee yesterday, was it quite tense, or was it sort of more where they both all sides listening to each other? What was it like? There were a lot of questions there from national. The Labour MPs, um, while well, Sir Toby were talking, they, they were almost silent. Sort of the main questioning, I think, was coming uh, from the government side, from from New Zealand First and from the Greens, and really trying to get a handle on why they 
Sir Toby didn't think, um, you know, the, the new model would work so well for them. What it was about, you know, the special character schools that he saw as not working as well as under the um, charter school model. Well, mm. talking of um, robust debate, um, Winston Peters has, of course, been taking over from the Prime Minister in the debating chamber yeah. for the last couple of weeks. And um, I've been going in and watching um, him, especially during their first sort of first 45 minutes to an hour of question time. And it's been pretty fiery and pretty interesting. But um, you can see that perhaps the opposition's getting a tiny bit frustrated. So have a look at some of these highlights. <laughs> Does he stand by all of his government's policies and actions? The acting Prime Minister? Yes. <laughs> Point of order for you. Well, can I, can I uh, help you in this matter by no, saying... No, I don't, I, I, no, I, in fact, in fact, I don't think the acting Prime Minister can. So I can ask my question, sir. Uh, the, I beg your pardon? They forecast 3% growth for the next... Five years. Right? I hope that member's still around. I suppose that balances it up, isn't it? Sort of ridiculous each side. People that I thought... People... No, no, look, can you just listen, because you'll learn something, I assure you. Perhaps not you, Jerry, but the rest will. Well, I can only say things slowly. I, I will, you'll have to wait. Shouting out what is that after I tell him what its nature is won't do. And I'm sure his... His PR advisors have told him to be, act more leader-like than that, stand up more slowly, be more careful, and try and be gentlemen. So in terms of the core economic, macroeconomic, prudential policy settings and structural change, what was he referring to? Uh, order. As Ricky Martin would say, macro, micro, inside, upside, the whole lot. And imagine what a country would have been if it weren't been for the myopic, neoliberal nonsense that his party inherited, even though their best leader at the time told him not to. Namely, yours truly. <laughs> no, no. I don't have to look, to, I don't have to, look to Mr Robinson for an answer to that. Because the proposition is baseless. I'm the only person in this house predicted that Trump would win and Brexit would be successful. Well, not after the event. What then will be the growth figures for the next couple of years? Yes, about 3% per uh, As the IMF uh, was at pains to point out, <laughs> if it's going to be 3% for the next five years, it's just quite possible it'll, possible it'll be 3% every year or thereabouts. <laughs> no trouble, Spring. Uh, I just want to check that the uh, acting Prime Minister and the Deputy Leader of the Opposition are finished. So that bit at the end there, Winston Peters and Paula Bennett um, were having a little bit of tit for tat. I think Paula Bennett was saying, um, thank you very much for that Winston Peters show. And I think Winston Peters said something like, oh yeah, that one's free, no charge for that one. So you can just see that National is trying to play it straight. They've Winston Peters has been around for a couple of weeks now. They've, they're a bit sick of the fun and the games of last week. They're now wanting to do, you know, get on with things. And he's just being the king of batting things yeah. away and using humour. Um, you can see that it must be annoying for them. Yeah, annoying for them, but for us, I think, great, great theatre. Um, <laughs> Fabulous entertainment. <laughs> yeah, thoroughly enjoy it. You know, not, I don't think all of the public, I think they look at Question Time and they see them like, you know, squabbling children or whatever. Mm. But, yeah, I, yeah, 
thoroughly enjoyable at mind. Yeah, mm. sometimes when you look over and in the public gallery, there's a group of school kids yeah. and you kind of think... <laughs> You'd be in so yeah. much trouble if you are behaving like yeah. them at school. and these are the guys yeah. that represent yeah. you. So sometimes yeah. you're just thinking, oh, let's just sit like this a bit. <laughs> yeah. But it is, you have to say, geeky political theatre, really, really good. But... I guess one of those things that when you look back at it, you're thinking, oh, actually, that is a bit annoying. And, you know, he is the acting prime minister and, um, you know, he's got to answer some questions. So um, it'll be it'll be fun to see how it plays out. We've got a couple of weeks off from him now, though. So maybe maybe he'll get back into it again after recess. Mm, indeed. Hey, another story we had a look at this week. Compensation. George Baker was found guilty of killing Liam Ashley in the back of a prison van in 2006. But he's since sought compensation from the government because he says he was abused in state care as a child. He is the worst of the worst. While I believe that some of the compensation is justified, uh, we need to control how it is spent. And Baker's not the only one. 49 serious offenders have lodged claims for compensation. So far, $327,000 has been paid out to 18 of them. The highest payment was 50000 Brian and Lynette Brown's daughter Natasha Hayden was killed in 2005. They say from a victim's point of view, they'd be upset if Natasha's killer was eligible for a payout. What about the life of the people of that, like stuff killed or molested or whatever they've done? What do they get? They don't get money. They don't get nothing. They don't get the family back. When National was in power, it had come up with a plan to put the money into a trust. Things like outstanding child support and court fees would be paid for first, and the rest would be available to pay for rehabilitation. But administration would cost $2 million. It should be put in a trust, and, and it wouldn't be that silly for the trustees to be the people that they committed the crimes against. I don't believe that they should get a cheque with no constraints. It might end up with a gangs. It might go to feed a drug habit. Who knows? But the government says there are human rights issues. They are getting uh, compensation uh, in many instances for crimes that were committed against them when they were children. The minister says corrections has rules on what prisoners can spend money on while in jail and on parole. Some victims' advocates are now calling for more control. So this is one of those classic stories mm. where you can see both sides. These guys were wronged by the state, the people who were looking after them. They deserve compensation. But then some of them have gone on and wronged other members of the public. So it brings into question, do they deserve that compensation as well? And that's when it gets really complicated. Because if it's a simple equation, you're wronged, get compensation simple. Yeah. But because a lot of these guys are really serious offenders and in jail, it, it brings up all of these questions. Well, and, and you can totally understand it if you're a, you know, if you knew a victim of one of these, you know, serious offenders, their reaction is totally understandable. You know, mm. why should these, these guys or girls, you know, be getting compensated, um, you know, when we've suffered so badly and, you know, they've caused so much harm. And then on the flip side is, well, you know, would these guys be serious offenders had they not been abused themselves by the state. So, you know, you can totally understand both sides. But I think, you know, when you look at those figures there, it seems like what National was proposing and having that system there where, you know, they'd basically monitor how the compensation was spent and make sure they paid off their bills and their debts, you know, before they 
got any of the money themselves, that was going to cost more than the than the compensation payouts. Pretty but much. But I don't. I I don't really think the public mind about that though it was two million dollars right and if you think okay two million dollars it goes into a trust and it's spent on rehabilitation if I was one of those victims I'd be thinking great that's the kind of stuff I want my taxpayer Mm. money spent on yes it's expensive yes it's far more expensive to administer than than just giving it to them but too bad like this is this is how you have to do it so it's just I mean, the other overarching thing is there are obviously human rights issues and that's why it was so complicated through Cabinet um, because these guys aren't treated differently, of course, because they um, have committed these serious offences. So I just think it's one of those really interesting issues that does get people talking. Um, And you could actually, it's, it's one of those things that I think you could easily debate either side of for hours yeah 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 yeah. Yeah. but I just think it was one of those ones Mm. that it's yep it's a small group of people and yep it's not a big amount of money but just one of those dilemmas and you can see for the minister I would imagine it was something you had to weigh up quite a bit to to make a call on it so yeah really an interesting topic Um, I enjoyed looking into that one this week on this compensation thing basically what National's proposing is to spend two million dollars to administer, you know, payouts that might add up in total, who knows, probably less than that, maybe a million dollars. I don't think that's justified to spend twice as much money to administer that amount of money. Do you? I do because I think it makes it fair, and that's a and that's the argument to it because you putting it into a trust, spending it on rehabilitation, that's what makes the system work and it and it balances out and things like that. And I just think that. I, as a taxpayer, I don't mind that, I mean, it's not a lot of money, is it, really? But I don't mind that money goes and is spent on things like that. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think if but, it was... Yeah, a, but I guess it becomes three times as much money, doesn't it? If, if, if you're going to set up this administration scheme, yeah, which National is proposing. But I guess it ma- then it makes it right, you know? And if that, for these, for these offenders who have gone on to do these things, if it makes it feel more comfortable for the for the victims' families, then I feel like $2 million is justified. And I guess you come at it from a different perspective because, you know, mm. I talked to these families this week and That's so right. I think you get more... Do you know what I mean? Like Whereas I'm feel, probably looking at it from a different perspective. Yeah, of, from a hey, political you've perspective. You've got this much money, you got this much money. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, I can, and, and you can see both sides, but yeah. I just think... That's what money should be spent on, things like that, to make systems work. It's a complicated, difficult headache of an issue because there's so many things that um, are problematic in it. And I just think that, yep, it's complicated, but I, but that's what you want your politicians to be doing. You want them to be sitting there and thrashing out things and coming up with solutions to complicated problems. That's why they're in this place. There you go. That's a little thought for the day. <laughs> it was great to have you with us guys this week. This was Inside Parliament, our weekly catch-up about our political stories that we've had on One News. It's available every Thursday evening on the One News Facebook page and check us out on your favourite podcasting app. Yeah.